It's 11.30 at night, and I'm sitting here reading Mark Twain. Everyone in the house is fast asleep, save for my brother who's doing the dishes this time. And you can hear the croak of the frogs outside, just outside my window. Now they have gone quiet, as if they too are listening to this story. I'm reading one of the lesser-known works of Mark Twain, The American Claimant, and I'd like to read you a part of the, the way he begins this book. It goes like this. Let me turn on the light. The weather in this book. No weather will be found in this book. This is an attempt to pull a book through without weather. It being the first attempt of the kind in fictitious literature, it may prove a failure, but it seemed worth the while of some daredevil person to try it, and the author was in just the mood. Many a reader who wanted to read a tale through was not able to do it because of delays on account of the weather. Nothing breaks up an author's progress like having to stop every few pages to fuss up about the weather. Thus, it is plain that persistent intrusions of weather are bad for both reader and author. Of course, weather is necessary to a narrative of human experience. That is conceded. But it ought to be put where it will not be in the way, where it will not interrupt the flow of the narrative. And it ought to be the ablest weather, ablest weather that can be had, not ignorant, poor-quality, amateur weather. Weather is a literary specialty, and no untrained hand can turn out a good article of it. The present author can do only a few trifling ordinary kinds of weather, and he cannot do those very good. So it has seemed wise, wisest to borrow such weather as is necessary for the book from qualified and recognized experts, giving credit, of course. This weather will be found over in the back of the part of the book, out of the way. See Appendix. The reader is requested to turn over and help himself from time to time as he goes along. Now I can tell you that reading that is uh, is very refreshing. It's I'd say it has a lot of humor to it, and that is one of the things that really sets apart Mark Twain from many authors in North America and perhaps even in the world. He had a knack for bringing a lot of humor uh, when you least expected it. And sometimes this humor was quite stingy, to say the least. Uh, for example, in Huckleberry Finn, um, when one of the women asks Huckleberry Finn if he killed anyone, and he said, no one, just a black, and then the N-word. And uh, in a way, this is a kind of sense of humor, but mostly it's it's to bring up the awareness to those readers, especially at that time in the American Civil War, um, where the North and the South were fighting over slavery, and um, if humans are have the right or not to enslave another uh, for free work. Um, so he was bringing this kind of stinginess to raise awareness about that subject and many times humor is one of the best ways to do that. I can tell you that uh, Oscar Wilde 
said uh, in a famous quote of his, if you want to tell people the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you. I can speak from personal experience that many times that is true. I don't know if I can always make people laugh, but I, I try to, and many people think I'm off the wall, but uh, I prefer that they think I'm off the wall than think I'm, uh, expect too much of me, you know? <laughs> so, Mark Twain, his real name was uh, Samuel Clemens, Samuel Langhorn Clemens. He uh, he was born to a family of six siblings, and he actually had later created a family um, with four kids, with uh, Olivia Langdon, uh, a woman that was very very special to him. There was um, a, a very strong love between them that was commented about. Um, from any person that knew Mark Twain and his family closely. She died quite young at uh, age 59 in 1904, and when that happened, Mark Twain really got into quite serious depression, but he said about her that, I have not known and shall never know anyone who could fill the place of the wife I have lost. She and his daughters would help him uh, with editing his book, but uh, of course... His wife helped the most, and uh, she was the first editor that uh, went over all of his materials before it went over to uh, the publishing house. Now, I've got to tell you that uh, many people try to make the distinction when analyzing Mark Twain's life between Mark Twain and Samuel Langhorne Clemens, who was uh, the real man behind the pen name. But I'd uh, be hard-pressed to agree that there is much difference. I mean, of course, there are different sides to every person. Uh, any person you talk to, there will always be sides that uh, that are yet to discover um, and parts that any writer could uh, confide that something else sometimes uh, comes out through the pen that usually doesn't come out when they're around people. Yes, for sure, but... Saying that they're completely different people is not something I would, I would agree with. Um, Susie Clemens, one of his daughters, said in her biography that she wrote of her dad when she just she just started it when she was a kid. That uh, her dad is much more sympathetic in real life than in the books, and that she doesn't like when visitors come home come to their house and think that her dad is a certain character when he actually is much more gentle and affectionate than in the books that are full of um, sarcasm and cynicism and sometimes dark humor. Susie also wrote a very touching part about uh, her father and mother's um, love for one another. And it goes like this. Papa wrote Mama a great many beautiful love letters when he was engaged to Mama, but Mama says I am too young to see them yet. I asked Papa what I should do, for I didn't know how I could write a biography of him without his love letters. Papa said that I could write Mama's opinion of them, and that would do just as well. So I'll do as Papa says, and Mama says she thinks they are the loveliest love letters that ever were written. She says that Hawthorne's love letters to Mrs. Hawthorne 
are far inferior to these. That is from the autobiography of uh, Mark Twain. Now I'd like to let you guys listen to a song that Mark Twain really loved uh, called Poor Wafer and Stranger. Uh, He loved these kind of uh, Irish-sounding songs. This redemption is by Bobby Horton. well-respected lecturer uh, in his time. He was very funny. He once said that he takes three weeks to prepare for an impromptu lecture of an hour. And that's really, that quote really encompasses how he made his lectures. Um, It sounded like he didn't remember anything. There was nothing memorized, but that was part of his art. Everything was, was thought about and uh, one of the, one, another quote of his that I really love is, the minute you finish an article is the moment that you know what you wrote and you start again. And I believe that's what he did for all of his lectures and all of his books. He put in such a tremendous amount of time in honing his books, in honing his, his lectures, But on the other hand, he became such a master at this that he could give lectures in no amount of time at all. Now, I can tell you that uh, he also had a soft spot for college girls. Uh, He would he loved to give lectures there because he said those are that's your best audience. They really tell you that they love you all the time. And it's the it's the best. Um. I guess I need to find college boys as a as an audience for my uh, future books, so I'll, I'll get that uh, going. But um, there was once a lecture in which uh, Mark Twain was invited to talk in, and it was in the middle of winter, and dr- the dress code at that time in the middle of winter was to be completely black meaning wearing black and Mark Twain was having none of that he came in fully fledged in none other than the color white which is completely going against all societal conventions at that time and I mean it was a striking picture a man with a Whiskers as white as the moon, all decked in the same color, same uh, color of shoes. And he was really almost like a star in the middle of uh, the black fabric of space. 
um, with all the men there in their black suits. I'll read a short passage uh, by the man Michael Sheldon, who wrote Mark Twain, Man in White, The Grand Adventure of His Final Years, about this scene. At the main doors facing the Capitol, he entered the great hall of the library and made his way down a long marble corridor to the Senate reading room, where a hearing was in progress on copyright legislation. The Librarian of Congress, a dapper middle-aged man named Herbert Putnam, was expecting him and emerged from the hearing to escort Twain inside. All heads turned as the famous guest strode to the front of the chamber, which was full of lobbyists, lawyers, authors, and publishers. End quote. Now, uh, what he did there was not only to create a big uh, impression, uh, which, uh, despite all of his uh, supposed vainness, uh, and and the way that uh, he jokes about himself uh, that he's uh, the you know the best man in the world uh, i i feel that he's actually quite humble and the reason that that he did this and uh, michael sheldon does uh, talk about it in the book is that he wanted to push uh copyright legislation that was he felt was unjust and unfair uh towards the creators of content towards the writers so he came there um, in order to push something uh, with a bang. <laughs> so so really good for him. Uh, and, and he did put quite a bit of time into preparing um, this part of his life and how he came all in white. Uh, but I believe that it wasn't only uh, in order to push this legislation uh, of copyright and maybe to make a nice impression uh, as maybe a side thing, it was also because his wife, Olivia Langdon, at the time uh, when she was alive, she was mourning the death of her late brother, who was uh, very dear to her as well as to Mark Twain. Uh, the brother actually helped to connect them. I, I, Mark Twain and uh, Olivia Langdon's brother met on uh, a ferry uh, that Mark Twain was on. Uh, one of those steamboats, huge steamboats that uh, also floated uh, along the Mississippi. So it was a big blow uh, to both of them, uh, his death. And uh, his wife, Mark Twain's wife, would just f for a whole year, she uh, she wore black clothes and her sadness was really killing him. So he decided that, uh, you know, chuck all those uh, fashion rules aside i'm going to wear white uh, in winter i even though it's not considered acceptable i, I you know i don't i don't care because you know this is <laughs> this is uh, making me too sad now an, an interesting uh, another interesting thing about mark twain is that he released his autobiography he wrote uh, something like 600 pages and uh there was a tremendous amount of work by a, a group of very dedicated volunteers that uh, went and edited all of his work. And he requested that this autobiography would be re released into the public only a century after his death. And uh, it has been released in 2010 or 2009. And it's wonderful, really. I love reading it. Uh, you can read into something that is very different 
than than what you read in um, The Prince and the Pauper or, uh, you know, Tom Sawyer or any other of his classics. But on the other hand, you can see that it's him. You can see the humor. You can see the criticism, the critical eye, the the bleeding heart. You can see all of that. He's the same guy at the end of the day. Um, but what made it really interesting was his confessions. The way that he writes his confessions. Um, it's almost like reading into a schoolboy's journal from a mature man. Not in a bad way, just in a way that it's very honest and very pure and you can see, you can see the man for who he is. You don't need to guess. And that's something I've experienced like very strongly is something I really love about Sam or Mark Twain that he's got nothing to hide. And and yes, he there are some things that he does regret and he's not afraid to say it. And he talks about the happy parts, the happy um, scenes in his life and, and the sad ones. And, and, you know, to tell you the truth, it's something that I miss in modern writing um, as an avid reader myself is he writes realism. He writes real stories. So if there is intrigue, the intrigue is, is a natural type of intrigue that is created in situations in which you're reading from a character's perspective who really doesn't know what the end result is going to be. Uh, like his in his uh, short stories with the jumping frog and other short stories. That collection, by the way, is a wonderful collection of uh, short stories. One of the best I've ever read. And uh, that is something we don't see much uh, in modern writing. There is almost like a like an ins insistent desire of writers to to write in the intrigue instead of let it happen like in Sherlock Holmes um, and that's something I really appreciate about him now I'd like to read you the part where he talks about the weather and he just takes different different uh, parts from different books that talk about the weather uh, for example Genesis uh, with uh, raining 40 days and 40 nights um, is one vivid example. Uh, but I'd like you to read you one of them because I think it's a uh, nice writing, though it is not uh, Mark Twain's writing. Merciful heavens, the whole west from right to left blazes up with a fierce light, and next instant the earth reels and quivers with the awful shock of 10,000 batteries of artillery. It is the signal for the fury to spring, for a thousand demons to scream and shriek, for innumerable serpents of fire to writhe and light up the blackness. Now the rain falls, now the wind is let loose with a terrible shriek, now the lightning is so constant that the eyes burn and the thunder claps merge into an awful roar, as did the eight hundred cannon at Gettysburg. Crash, 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 it is the cottonwood trees falling to earth. Shriek, shriek, shriek. It is the demon racing along the plain and uprooting even the blades of grass. Shock, shock, shock. It is the fury flinging his fiery bolts into the bosom of the earth. The demon and the fury. M. Quad. Now, one of the relationships that 
that was very iconic in uh, Sam Clemens' life for Mark Twain um, was the relationship with Ulysses S. Grant, uh, the former president of the United States. They were actually good friends. Uh, it wasn't like that in the beginning. Mark Twain uh, met him almost coincidentally, um, and it didn't seem to Mark Twain that Mr. Grant uh, really took a liking to him because uh, Mark Twain asked him, are you embarrassed in front of God knows how many people? And uh, and the man in front of him just looked at him and basically walked away. So that was like a uh, not a very cheery thing to do. Uh, actually, if you want to read more about that, that's uh, again in uh, Michael Sheldon's book. So what was interesting about this relationship is that uh, Mark Twain actually pushed Ulysses S. Grant to write about his memories, to, to write a memoir, basically. Uh, Ulysses was uh, involved, was uh, basically the commander uh, in the North against the South, and he was uh, anti-slavery, and uh, he won one of the wars there. So he was, he was quite an iconic figure. He also, by the way, uh, just a side note, allowed a 10-year-old orphan to become part of the army and uh, brought him up to the status of a commander as well at some point. This, this child was a real soldier um, and he, he was one of the best soldiers they had. So, Ulysses S. Grant didn't want to write a memoir, really. He said, ah, God, I don't have anything to say and who would want to read it anyways? But... Mark Twain was persistent, as he always is, and he he at the end encouraged Grant so much that Grant at, at the end finished the the book and published it with the uh, publishing company that Mark Twain founded. Uh, by the way, it had to go bankrupt because in no way was Mark Twain a businessman, unfortunately. Uh, he was a creative, uh, he was a literary genius, but money and uh, that kind of thing was never his uh, forte, to say the least. Uh, that brought to that brought a lot of problems in his life. Uh, like he paid a lot of inventors. He he tried to support inventors, but they never worked. It's funny that uh, uh, one day an inventor came to Mark Twain's house and explain to him about a machine that you talk into and through a line you can hear uh, y another person can hear your voice and that was the only time that Mark Twain uh, denied someone uh, support for an invention and it turned out to be Alexander Graham Bell so <laughs> anyway so Mark Twain released Ulysses S. Uh, Grant's book and uh, after Grant passed away um, the selling of those books helped to sustain Grant's family and uh, Grant had two kids and uh, he left a wife and so that really saved them 
Now, Mark Twain was uh, also a musician, believe it or not. He uh, he played the piano, but in a funny way, one of his daughters described uh, him getting notes out or chords uh, as being a miracle because he actually held his hands his fingers spread apart so tightly and he didn't release them to to be able to really mold uh, for the for the chords so he would hold his hands very stiffly uh, on the on the piano keys but he was able to create music uh, not that really anybody enjoyed it except for himself but uh, perhaps that was one of the things that uh, helped him bring out his creative side and uh, he loved, loved, loved to s- listen to to many different types of music, but this in particular, I'm going to let you listen to one of uh, one of his favorite songs, and uh, I hope you enjoy that as much as I did. By the way, um, if you have any feedback about how I am uh, in front of the mic or in, in talking, I'd love to hear your feedback and uh, make changes as I see fit. And I'd love to hear what you thought and what you think about Mark Twain and what your experience is uh, with reading his works. Do you, do you have a favorite book of his, favorite short story? Um, have you found something interesting about it? I know that uh, also Mark, du- Mark Twain's uh, daughter, Clara, uh, apparently had a daughter. Uh, she married, uh, by the way, a famous uh, musician, from Russia uh, so they apparently had a daughter and daughter came out with it in like 2010 saying that she's Mark Twain's daughter I mean granddaughter um, and they did some DNA testing and they saw that most likely it isn't true but who knows maybe there's some mistake or I have I have no idea but uh, just to put it out there that there was a lady she's probably in her 70s she's still alive and she still holds on to her conviction that she is indeed Mark Twain's uh, granddaughter um and I I wish her the best in that <laughs> to tell you the truth I I have no opinion whatsoever about that um one of Mark Twain's basically favorite daughters uh, was diagnosed with with epilepsy at uh, age 15 and she she died uh, very tragically in in an accident in her bathtub uh, she basically drowned in her bathtub after an attack and uh, that was one of the only times that uh, Mark Twain saw her uh, in her uh, older years when she was uh, 28 she was very young to die and uh she was the most gentle she was uh the one that really respected mark twain and on the other hand she was also not afraid to tell him that he should get his stuff together and that was something that sam really appreciated about her her name was jean clemens and she was diagnosed with epilepsy at age 15 um, and at that time, they didn't really know what that disease was. So they sent her around different uh, healing centers to try to cure it. Uh, but that meant that she was also not in contact with the family so much. And that uh, really put a splinter in uh, Mark Twain's heart. And I also believe in 
uh, Olivia's hard because they both really loved their children. On a different note, though, I'd like to say thank you to Mark Twain who kept the pen alive and who inspired so many, so many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people uh, to love literature as he did. And also, thank you for calling yourself uh, that funny pen name, uh, which Mark Twain means um, it's a measure of distance that they use on uh, ferry boating across the Mississippi River to to make sure that they won't get stuck on the shore. So it was a measure of depth uh, when the tides came in and out. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, hopefully we'll enjoy the ones to come. I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to write to me, you can write to my email, which is maylovespeace at gmail.com. Again, I'm Mike Cooper, your host at Peach City Radio. <laughs>